Hello, lovelies. Well, I haven't seen you since last year. <laughs> and that's just way too long. I hope you all had a wonderful new year. It's raining and I wonder if you can hear that. I apologize. And also, this isn't a 3 a.m. one. This is a 9.30 a.m. one. So hopefully I'll sound a little bit more awake this time. But hey, we'll do our best. Well, I think this year we will start getting into some meat and potatoes, shall we? And when I was starting this journey, the fabulous Peter Mark Adams gave me a framework to work within. Several, actually. <laughs> Peter is amazing. Oh, and speaking of Peter, he has a fabulous new book out. And I just found out that I was quoted in the beginning of the book. How amazing is that? I am now a published author. Thank you very much. <laughs> but the book is amazing and I will post a link to it. And the quote is amazing. And um, just how totally cool is that, right? Totally, totally cool. So that just made my day. Anyway, back to Peter, fabulous Peter and his fabulous framework. Ah, uh, gosh, in truth, right, full disclosure here, there are bits of Peter's framework that I am more au fait with and others that I don't still quite understand. And so some of it we may have to wait until I can convince him to come and talk to us so that we can all get it together. And I know, look, honestly, I've asked him several times, but I still don't get it. <laughs> we will get him together and see if we can wrap our heads around it together. But the one that I want to start with today, I do get it. So we'll start with that. So basically what Peter did for me was give me a framework of which the paradigm thing was a part. And that just went bang inside my head. And I, I've kind of explained all of that to you. Um, and I'm going to add another movie, go see the golden compass or get the golden compass, because that's kind of another movie that talks about paradigm and disconnecting us from the spiritual aspect of ourselves that is, um, uh, uncomfortably, well, it doesn't reside in the materialistic paradigm, right? So that was part of Peter's framework. Really, really helpful to me. But let's go into the next bit, shall we? This time, I'm going to let Peter say it for himself. Magic has been a constant feature of every human culture from the upper Paleolithic around 35,000 years ago down to today. But to understand why it has played such a formative role in our cultural history, we have to drop some of our most cherished assumptions about the nature of reality and accept the existence of ways of seeing and relating to the world that lie far beyond the routine. In particular, we will require a far more holistic vision of reality, one in which everything is seen as quite literally connected to everything else, and not just on the physical plane. But to comprehend the detail emerging from such a vast stretch of human history, it would be useful to have an organizing framework in place. 
I think we can make sense of the phenomena through four distinctive points of view that are more or less perennial. Firstly, the cosmos is organized and moved by cosmic intelligences. At the highest levels, these are indistinguishable from the vastness of the cosmos, but visualized through the medium of the constellations, stars, and planets. This was a common assumption in most cultures, at least up until the 18th century. Even Sir Isaac Newton considered the motive power behind his model of the solar system to derive not from purely physical factors, but from the agency of a celestial being. More anciently, the view was that reality is alive with intelligent beings on every level of existence. So that's a mouthful. Peter likes to drop some bombs, doesn't he? Hey, okay. So, as I said, as far as dropping some of our assumptions about the nature of reality, I think we have started that with the paradigm thing and the Bernardo Catstrap idealism idea. Oh, and I'm going to put that video in my telegram for you so that everything is together in one place. It re- I highly suggest this video of Bernardo. It's fantastic. Okay, so we've done the throw out the bits about reality. What about the the cosmos is organized and moved by cosmic intelligences part? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. And look, to be honest, I think more and more people, philosophers, artists, and even scientists are beginning to realize that the classical concepts of how the cosmos works based on Newtonian classical mechanics have run their course. And look, as Peter mentioned above, I'm not even sure that Newton's ideas were limited when they were handed down to us. It seems like he was onto it. So I think we all get that the universe is not simply bits of matter moving in accordance with mechanistic laws. But if not that, then what is it? And to help us understand this, we will spend some time with Irvin Leslo. Irvin is a Hungarian philosopher of science. He's a systems theorist, integral theorist. Originally, he was a classical pianist. He advocates for the theory of quantum consciousness, is a Gemini, is 89 years old, and is the author of the book we will be looking at today called The Intelligence of the Cosmos, Why Are We Here? and New Answers from the Frontiers of Science. All the cool kids seem to like this book, like Stan Graf and Jane Goodall, so I thought it might be worth listening to his story. His main point makes sense to me, and it's that the whole system of the cosmos is connected in ways that transcend the materialistic bounds of space-time. In his view, the universe is not made up of chunks of matter, but instead little packets or (laughs) not-so-little packets of vibration. Hmm... Kabbalion check. Beep, 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 beep. Let's check the Kabbalion for a minute, shall we? Okay. (laughs) Principle number three of vibration. Nothing rests, everything moves, everything vibrates. And commentators of the Kabbalion go on to suggest that this principle explains the difference between different manifestations of matter, energy, mind, and even spirit. 
that they only are the result of different vibrations. Okay, bingo. That chameleon, (laughs) it's pretty handy, isn't it, eh? Okay, well, Laszlo goes on to say that the vibrations that make up the cosmos are not random, but highly ordered. They are coherent. Because of that, they're not likely to be the result of mere chance. To demonstrate this in one maybe not so related example, but it's very cool. Fred Hoyle, a mathematical physicist, said that the probability that a new species would emerge through a chance mutation of their genes is comparable to the probability that a hurricane blowing through a scrapyard would assemble a working airplane. Whoa. (laughs) I love that. And when I told Chance that, Chance said he'd heard that in Bible school when he was a kid and that they use that same analogy to explain the nature of how God worked, right? So we're kind of talking about the same thing. We're talking about an intelligence. You want to call it God? Hey. But anyway, getting back more on point, David Bohm describes the vibrations as informed, okay? In-formed which is actually what Vita calls the part of water that turns into her artwork or hydroglyphs. It is the part of water that is exhibiting consciousness in her opinion. So that's very cool. Laszlo suggests that a deep dimension spontaneously and effectively informs everything in the cosmos, us included. In fact, we are also informed clusters of vibration in space-time, interacting and co-evolving with other clusters, both locally and non-locally throughout the universe. And again, we're going to get into non-locally as Peter has something to say about that. Anyway, we'll keep going for now. The concept of a cosmos as informed vibration is not new. It's present in the Sanskrit concept of Akasha, the fifth and deepest dimension of the world, they say, beyond yet encompassing the four elemental dimensions of air, earth, fire, and water. Later, it was seen as the etheric field underlying the observed world, which is how we portrayed it in the Great Work series. But woohoo! <laughs> now science is caught up because quantum physics, observations and calculations have revealed that at the ultra-small dimension, space is not empty and smooth. It is grainy and filled with vibration. So no matter how small the physicists go, they cannot find matter. Instead, they find waves and clusters of standing or propagating vibrations. Now, Laszlo explains that scientists assumed it was matter that vibrates down at those levels and how surprised they were when they looked and it wasn't. In fact, Laszlo even quotes Max Planck talking about this and he said, As a man who devoted his whole life to the most cleared-headed science, to the study of matter, 
I can tell you as a result of my research about atoms this much. There is no matter as such. All matter originates and exists only by virtue of a force which brings the particle of an atom to vibration and holds this most minute solar system of the atom together. We must assume the existence of a conscious and intelligent mind. That intelligence, he says, is the matrix of all matter. So what about mind then? If the world is vibration, then is mind and consciousness also a form of vibration? Hmm. Well, we both know the answer is yes, don't we? When I was younger, I uh, spent time with a teacher by the name of Dr. John Demartini, and he had some good stories and some good tools too, one of which we will get onto quite soon. But... um. He's like, think about our bodies and our brain as a cell phone. But we, us intrinsically, we ourselves are much more the signal so that even if the cell phone crapped out, the signal was still there and still complete. And if there was, in fact, another cell phone that was tuned into the signal, that that signal could be picked up again. And he actually had a method of proving that to people within his classes in that he was able to pick up the voice of dead people (laughs) and that these classes generally ended up in exuberant tears of joy. And it was very, 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 very cool stuff to witness. I got to witness it several times. But Laszlo says the same thing, right? That the mind is a real element in a real world and is not produced by the brain. It is manifested and displayed by the brain. So it's like the cell phone connecting to the signal and then displaying it as a human being walking and talking around. And look, this also sounds a lot like how Bernardo describes reality itself as being the manifestation of the big brain. The vibrations that manifest the cosmic intelligence have a physical as well as non-physical aspect. Viewed from the outside, every cluster of vibration is a physical phenomena, a pattern of vibration in space and time. But viewed from the inside, from the perspective of of that given cluster, it is a perception, an awareness, a feeling of the world in and by that cluster. This internal, seemingly subjective, but objectively real aspect is a fundamental feature of the universe. And again, better describes what Bernardo is saying than I can, because clearly I butcher Bernardo. So just go watch his video, but you will see the parallels. The internal, seemingly subjective, but objectively real aspect is a fundamental feature of the universe. But back to the cell phone idea for a moment. NDEs, OBEs, and all that stuff verify this idea of consciousness being more of a radio signal. And I won't bore you with them, as we all know about them, but in his book, Laszlo reports on one ADE after-death experience, which was really cool. So I'm just going to throw it in because I thought it was funny. 
Bertrand Russell was a British polymath, an academic. He worked in philosophy, mathematics, and logic, and wrote books like The Conquest of Happiness and Why I'm Not a Christian. So he was kind of a notorious character. He was also a skeptic and an outspoken debunker of esoteric phenomena. And he wrote, I believe that when I die, I shall rot and nothing of my ego will survive. So imagine his shark when he ended up on the other side, intact. <laughs> He was so impressed he had to track down a medium on this side and convince her to deliver these words. You may not believe that it is I, Bertrand Arthur William Russell, who am saying these things, and perhaps there is no conclusive proof that I can offer through this somewhat restrictive medium. Those with an ear to hear may catch the echo of my voice in my phrases, the tenor of my tongue, in my tautology. Those who do not wish to hear will no doubt conjure up a whole table of tricks to display retrospective rhetoric. After breathing my last breath in my mortal body, I found myself in some sort of extension of existence that held no parallel as far as I could estimate in the material dimension I had recently experienced. I observed that I was occupying a body predominantly bearing similarities to the physical one I had vacated forever, but this new body in which I now resided seemed virtually weightless and very volatile, and able to move in any direction with the minimum of effort. I began to think I was dreaming, and would awaken all too soon in that one world of which I had become somewhat weary to find myself imprisoned once more in that aging form which encased a brain that had waxed weary also, and did not want to think when I wanted to think. Several times in my life, he continued, I thought I was about to die. Several times I'd resigned myself with the best will that I could muster to ceasing to be. The idea of B.R. no longer inhabiting the world did not trouble me unduly. Befitting, I thought, to give the chap myself a decent burial and let him be. Now here I was, still the same I, with the capacities to think and observe sharpened to an incredible degree. I felt earth life suddenly seemed very unreal, almost as if I had never happened. It took me quite a long while to understand that feeling until I realized at last that matter is certainly illusory, although it does exist in actuality. The material world seemed now nothing more than a seething, changing, restless sea of indeterminable density and volume. Very cool, right? Love his language. So I think we have the idea now that the cosmos is organized, but now what about, what about cosmic intelligences. Now, this is a huge topic, I warn you, and it's going to demand at least several talks of its own, as it's one of the more contentious areas in magic. Well, as far as my interviews concluded anyway, I got answers that ranged from it's all in your head to yes, cosmic intelligences are totally real and I've got to hang out with them. And we'll get into this as it is a super cool subject. But for now, I will let Rupert Sheldrake talk to us about a cosmic intelligence we all know and love. 
And it also supports the final piece of Peter's statement that more anciently, the view was reality is alive with intelligent beings on every level of existence. The mechanistic materialist view is that all of nature is unconscious. And when this became um, the standard view in science at the scientific revolution in the 17th century, it replaced an idea that was predominant in Europe before that, which was basically an animistic view of nature. Practically all cultures have an animistic view of nature. The universe is alive, the earth is alive, animals and plants are truly alive. In uh, the Middle Ages, uh, there was a form of Christian animism, which is what gave rise to the great Gothic cathedrals. They have carved foliage, they have beings and creatures all over them. They were um, great spaces designed to alter the consciousness of those who entered them. And they were a tribute to a vision of nature as a living world, uh, which was both the presence of a living God and uh, was within a living God. The mechanistic view sees nature as mechanical and not alive. So I think it's uh, important to realize that there are many forms of consciousness in an animistic view. And what we're seeing now is a revival of animism under the name panpsychism, a recognition as a form of conscious forms of consciousness, even in electrons and atoms, that human consciousness doesn't spring out of totally unconscious universe. It springs, uh, it emerges from levels of consciousness that go right down to the smallest things and up to the largest. Well, in that panpsychist or animist view, then all, self all self-organizing systems have some kind of mind or consciousness. And that includes large objects like the sun and the galaxy. So I think it's um, a traditional view that the sun is a conscious being and so are the other stars. And we now see all the stars in our galaxy and the Milky Way um, as included within the whole galaxy, that itself would be a conscious being at a higher level. And all the different galaxies in the universe, billions of them, are part of the entire universe, which is also a conscious being at the most inclusive level. So the idea of the sun as a conscious being fits within this general philosophy of nature, which is becoming more and more uh, discussed today. It's a kind of revival of animism. Uh, within science even, and within philosophy of mind. And the sun has complex electromagnetic patterns all over its surface and its interior and in the corona around it. And most people, even materialists, think that the interface between our minds and our brains is in the electromagnetic patterns of activity. Um, so I think the sun could well be thinking and conscious and the interface between its mind and its body is through these electromagnetic patterns, which we can study and measure, just as we can study and measure electrical patterns in the brain. How seriously awesome is Rupert? <laughs> I mean, Rupert is just so eloquent and intelligent. It just blows my mind. So to recap, to make sense of the phenomena of magic, we need to understand that the cosmos is organized and moved by cosmic intelligence. At the highest levels, these are indistinguishable from the vastness of the cosmos, the constellations, stars, planets, and the suns. Well, I think we do now. Thank you for listening, lovelies. And look, I'm going to put my actual Facebook profile down because... 
That way you'll actually get to see my cucumbers. And I've got that Telegram group. So thank you for joining. And I promise not to post such mm, bummer videos in there because I think I did post some bummer videos in there. But they spoke to the subject. So, And just on that point, I just want to make it kind of clear that Venice can find value in... Uh, I don't post things because I believe every word of everything of everything that people say. And I honestly don't expect you <laughs> to believe every word of everything that I say. I kind of look at it like a pan and I'm sifting through that pan for the gold. So be discerning. And if I post something, there's a reason I posted it. It doesn't mean that I agree with the whole thing. It means there might be one little bit in there that's like, boom, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And the rest of it might be complete hogwash, right? So that's how I look at things. All right, my lovelies, thank you so much for listening and more soon. Hello, lovelies. I am so excited to announce the release of our new film called Heka. Heka looks at the magic of ancient Egypt and how that pertains to the story of ancient Egypt and fills in a whole new perspective that we have been missing collectively for hundreds of years. It features Gordon White, Chance Gardner, Joseph Patrick Farrell, Lon Milo Duquette, Tobias Churton, Graham Hancock, of course, the fabulous John Anthony West, Rupert Sheldrake, Stephen Skinner, Thomas Sheridan, Peter Mark Adams, Thomas Joseph Brown, Aton Veggie, Mog Morton, Bernardo Catstrop, Shauna Home, Mark Passio, John Zaraki, and the goddess Joanna Kujawa. I am so incredibly proud of it, and I invite you to come and have a look. You can find a link on MagicalEgypt.com.
Tyrion.